0: Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and have a good morning or whatever time of day you're having while you listen to this. Welcome to The Lit Pickers. I am here with my friend Pal. Hello. Who is is here with me, her friend. Supriya Nair. (laughs) We're very happy to welcome you to this episode of our podcast about books and reading. And what better way we thought to inaugurate this ongoing conversation than to talk about... A a place where books
1: and reading are supposed to be discussed, i.e. literature festivals. Right. But I don't think... I mean, maybe I'm being harsh, but I don't think books are very high
0: priority these days at literature festivals. It's doubtful whether they ever have been. Publishers have told me, the I don't. Uh, perhaps you've heard this too, that they don't actually end up selling mm. a lot of books at literature festivals, or at least not proportionate to the kind of hype that literature festivals generate. Have you
1: heard this or? I've also wondered about this because there's a huge amount of energy put into displays at literature festivals by publishers. Right. But just in terms of setting up stalls, setting up signings, making sure that, you know, particular authors and their books are on display. There's a lot of effort that's put in by a publisher at these festivals. And I don't quite understand why you would do this if you're not making sales.
0: I guess this is one way in which the Literature Festival deviates from uh, its ancestor, the book fair. Which where you went in order to sell books. Now, those of you who are uh, readers but don't really have a strong opinion on whether you should actually buy books or no (laughs) may wonder why we started off talking about this. But this is kind of at the heart of the philosophical doubt, if you like, that surrounds literature festivals, which is that do they really get you to do the thing that they're supposed to be about, which is to read and to think about what you're reading?
1: And I think initially... The idea of a literature festival was started with commerce very much in mind. I mean, you were supposed to sell these books, but at the same time, you were supposed to build a community. And it's interesting what you were saying about the book fairs, because traditionally the book fairs have been as much about clearing inventory as much as acquiring new titles, Hmm. right? So, like, for example, Frankfurt Book Fair, which is, I think, the biggest or at least one of the most prestigious because of the kind of titles you can pick up, rights for titles from other publishers. So small publishers will, you know, hawk their wares, as it were. Hmm. But the literature festival, in contrast, is supposed to be, the commerce part being lower and the discussion part being higher. The entertainment part, let's just say. Yeah. Now, so that's one of the things that should be exciting, right? Because writing a book is a solitary activity. But also it means that unlike a lot of other creative arts, you don't actually get to encounter the creator that much. Like with a band, you're being able to hear their voices somewhat literally and, you know, the music that they're making. And with a book it's almost conceptual, you know, the author is not present in obvious ways. So a literature festival gives you a chance to kind of hang out in your head, you know, with the author, Uh, it feels like you are a little closer to them. And authors who are good speakers, I think they're fantastic to uh, see in festivals, because um, their personality just radiates. Like there are people like um, off the top of my head William Dalrymple comes to mind
0: Being the director of Jaipur Literature Festival does I suppose make him a godparent Mm. of the culture of literature festivals in India all together which really I agree with you Deepanjana because one of the things I really like about literature festivals is just going and listening to writers whom I haven't read yet Mm. talking about their books and when they do it well which they often do right I mean like who knows this thing better than you do Uh, And also I
1: found you know there are lots. Lots of authors who are not very good on stage, right? right. Like not, I, do, I don't like them. <laughs> so we just blanket ban. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. They're not very good in terms of showmanship, right? <laughs> so, for example, William Dalrymple is brilliant at showmanship. Uh, Amrita Patil, graphic novelist, very good with presentations, despite being very diffident otherwise. Mm. Um, Devdat Patnayak, very good on stage excellent show person. But then there are people who are not that great in terms of... Now that you've started naming names, I think you need to continue. No, I'll tell you. Like, for example, one of my favorite panels, as it were, we'll come to the point of panels, which generally I'm not very fond of. But there was a panel a few years ago at a literature festival at I think it was the Times Lit Fest, which has since been put in abeyance because apparently they can't afford it in Bombay. Mm. They can, however, oddly enough, afford it in Delhi. Anyway, everybody mm. gets everything for free in Delhi. You know this. <laughs> anyway, so there was a Times Lit Fest in Bombay where uh, the panel included Mohammed Hanif and Chetan Bhagat among other people. It was oh, moderated by... Hearing yeah, hearing
0: about this. The
1: moderator was Arnab Goswami, no less. Now This
0: was back when he was still an acceptable public figure to listen to.
1: More to the point, he was still employed by the Times Group, which was why he was moderating. Ah,
0: I see. Yeah. So he was well on his way to becoming the absolutely vile figure that he is today. Yes, hmm. yes, very much so. Go on.
1: Um, so this panel is going on. And uh, Chetan Bhagat, obviously, most of the crowd there was for Chetan Bhagat, who is phenomenally popular. And he is one of those people who has the audience eating out of his hands. Hmm. Okay. I mean, most of the audience, Mm -hmm, some mm -hmm. like myself, were not entirely convinced. But anyway, um, (laughs) having read his work, (laughs) having tried to read his work, but that is another story for another day. So Mm -hmm. Chetan Bhagat is holding court and doing it very well, by the way. Mm -hmm. Arnab Goswami is fighting for attention with him. They're Mm -hmm. both like these two very sort of popular figures trying to get their way. Hanif was not saying anything for most of this time. And then when he started talking initially, it was such a well-tempered performance because he went from diffident to explosive. Right. And without actually having notched up his energy levels at all. Mm. He was just slouched in that couch and little by little, in a completely half-asleep tone, he decimated argument after argument after argument. And about 20 minutes later, the whole crowd was with him (laughs) and you could just see Chetan Bhagat and Anup Goswami being like this is why we hate Pakistan.
0: This is why. <laughs> you know, like, it was beautiful. Right, of course. Wait, hold on. I must say that this was a, a panel, I, because I remember reading about it, right? That was held when the Times Group was still doing its Aman Ki Asha initiative. Yes, yes. It was also a time when Pakistani authors could come to literature festivals yes. in India, which is something that stopped around 2013 or 14. Mm. Um, and uh, the thing I remember was reading that both Hanif and Chetan Bhagat agreed that girls from Delhi and Lahore were the best looking girls and I was just like it says so much about the culture of the literature festival that the most vacuous thing someone can say can become the headline the day after which you know a festival isn't to blame for how it's covered necessarily but I think it's an important indicator of how much these festivals at their core are about entertainment rather than about Intellect. And I think literature festivals and publishing in general can get away with a lot because they claim to be in the public interest. They claim to be about to coin a phrase, what the nation needs to know. Mm. And I'm not entirely convinced that that's the truth, right? Because if... What a literature festival then claims or rather seems to be or presents itself as is a critical space where you can not only come and publicize your book, but also talk about it, which means you invite debate about it. But does that really happen? And if it did you know would you end up actually having headlines that talked about authors like celebrities who said you know dumb things or or yeah. cool things or whatever or would you actually have you know a substantive discussion about the things they actually said so i
1: think there are two very very important points that you've picked up on and stuff that we don't think about actively and we should when we're talking about literature festivals the first point absolutely, one cannot control how the media will depict something. But that said, the way literature festivals have been organized, particularly in the last seven odd years, I would say, has been focused on making headlines, as opposed to encouraging conversations. So you will find, I think that's essentially a problem of having taken from the TV debate. So the panel discussion is something that obviously existed offline much longer than it did in newsrooms and uh, news channels. But this whole sort of fetishizing the panel discussion is the only way mm. to have any kind of conversation on a subject is entirely credited to TV news, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Right. And let's not forget, we have JLF, which, for which we do have a lot to be thankful for, um, to credit with the idea yes. that a panel discussion is so important that you have to pack it with as many people as possible. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely.
1: And not just pack it with lots of people, but also people who often have only the most glancing connection to a book. Mm. Right. Uh, JLF is particularly guilty of this, I think. And it's ironic because I think JLF also is to be credited for having given everyone the idea that, you know what, books are actually fun events Mm. and authors can be fun events for a public that has not necessarily read their book to go and attend. But so that's the headline grabbing problem. Related to that is the idea of a festival and a cultural festival in any way, but particularly a literature festival, being a safe space, right? The conversations that we want to have, whether it's something about anything, like a silly little thing, like should there be, how much sex would you like in your romance novel, Mm. right? Something as flimsy as that to uh, what is the right wing threat in an age of nonfiction writing Mm. in India, I'm saying whatever the conversation might be, however much gravitas may be attached to it, both of these require safe spaces, right? Now, the the need to have media coverage of a certain kind and of a certain magnitude has led to these spaces not being safe because immediately, A, you want to make headlines and B, it's a public conversation. Now, of course, all of this is related to funding, right? People don't want media coverage just for the heck of it. People need media coverage because their sponsors demand certain amount of publicity for having put money into an event. So it's a very, ultimately, it's all capitalism. Damn capitalism, down with it. That said, that said, the lack I of... I want sp- everyone
0: to know that we're recording this in Bombay, <laughs> uh, the most capitalist city in South Asia. <laughs> and not just that, we're recording it in a particularly Tony neighborhood. Anyway, um,
1: No, but the thing is that that apart, the problem of not making safe spaces for conversations is a big one because that's essentially what has made the idea of literature festivals exciting, right? I'm always grateful for JLF making India a place where foreign authors come, quite frankly. Um, Maybe not something that we can look forward to in the near future. But uh, in the recent past, at least, we have been able to hear authors who, before this,
0: we could we were thrilled if we got their books. Forget seeing the person live. I'm uh, curious about something you said a little bit before this. Um, how do you define a safe space in the context of a literature festival? So this is, I mean, I wish I wish we could, you know, actually lay down
1: guidelines for this. But I think essentially, a safe space should be one that you feel. Uh, that you feel safe in expressing your views. And that for expressing your views, neither the organizer nor you will be penalized for it. Mm. And unfortunately, that seems to be harder and harder to achieve. We seem to constantly come across instances where somebody saying something has offended someone else to the point where they want to shut things down. And that is essentially the problem. I do think that you should have healthy disagreement between one another. I mean, if we all agreed with each other all the time, we'd never learn a damn thing.
0: So here's the thing. I don't think healthy disagreement is possible at a literature festival, at least as we know it in India today. And why do you say that? Uh, The reason I'm saying that is because uh, there is a form of censorship that Mm. comes down hard, on the kind of vulnerable speakers and thinkers that I think you have in mind. Mm. And, you know, some of them may be authors of immense influence and fame, I know you're thinking of Salman Rushdie, as I am, hmm. because you remember what mm-hmm. happened a few years ago at Jaipur, in fact, where not only could he not travel to the festival, which was perhaps unsurprising, but wasn't even allowed to... Um, others weren't allowed to read his text. Others weren't allowed to read his texts and he wasn't allowed to teleconference in. Uh, that's, you know, pretty kind of black and white censorship. Yes. Which, again, coming back to the idea that it is entertainment rather than criticism or mm. a form of public service is extremely vulnerable to. Mm. I understand what organizers everywhere face, you know, and this is everyone from the biggest to the organizer of the small town literature festival. Mm -hmm. We live in an age of increasing repression Mm -hmm. because of the centralization of ideas and of power. And I realize how important it can seem to protect a space where people can come together and, you know, just even have fun Even if you think that's all a literature festival is about, fine, you know, it's a party that's nominally about books. Even wanting to protect that space becomes contingent on how much you can let the powerful get away with saying on Mm. stage and how much of the stage they can capture and becomes very little about how much you can protect the voices of those who are unpopular. So the point that you were making about
1: vulnerability, I think, is really interesting because I don't think from the outside... A lot of us keep in mind that uh, someone like Salman Rushdie, who is so famous, uh, has so much cultural capital, is financially well off, etc., etc., could be in any way uh, weaker than or even equal to someone who is a random protester coming up to Jaipur, no name, no barely perhaps an organization supporting them. But in that context... They become very powerful.
0: Right. Because it becomes about an individual versus a group, right? And whether that group is a majority group or not, it wasn't in Rushdie's case. Right. Um, That represents a kind of power that this, uh, you know, let's say the state and institutions want to back. And this is constantly at the heart of our problem with freedom of expression in general. Yes. And freedom of expression at literature festivals in particular, right? Because then what you do when you end up, you know, asking politicians and like TV news anchors and celebrities... Uh, to these places it feels like as you said it's not about valuing a point of view or even books which is my central problem so much as a kind I mean then it just becomes about like muscle right yes
1: yes. Uh, and then it becomes a contest of different kinds of muscle right whether it's
0: the audience you can attract or the organization that's backing you Mm. um, then it becomes about them rather than and another corollary
1: problem that I have which has something to do with power but not in the same way Is that I don't feel literature festivals value authors. They value celebrity. Hmm. And this has become, I think, a massive problem. As far as literature festivals in general go, and I know we've been talking mostly about JLF right now, but it's worth keeping in mind that there is a rash of festivals, as it were. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's been encouraged because particularly, I think, as bookstores disappear, literature festivals pop up and publishers get really enthusiastic about going there because uh, they don't have chances to display their titles in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I get that they need to sell books and all of that. But this lust for celebrity that seems to power every damn festival now, no matter how small or big, is a massive problem. I
0: have to say, I think there are some that don't like rant about celebrity. The Kalaghura Festival in Bombay. Oh, uh, come now. I think does a really, I, th- I think it does a really good job of, of just making sure that you have you know, authors to listen to and doesn't mm. really care about the crowds they attract. I go often to the Goa Arts and Literature mm. Festival, which mm. is very close to my heart. So I'm, I mean, feel free to think I'm biased. <laughs> but, uh, but it really seems, uh, I was there this year yeah. and Priya Ramani was the keynote speaker. Mm. And she said, you know, welcome to the Goa Arts and Literature Festival, which I think is the only festival in the country where the organizers invite you after they've read your book. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: she also delivered a fantastic opening speech. Yeah.
0: And it's nice, to, you know, and it wasn't a speech about books, but it was mm. about freedom of speech and expression. And it's nice when literature festivals that kind of fire off the shoulder of that kind of constitutional value actually stand by it, hmm. uh, because a lot of them don't. And the bigger they are, and the, the more corporate backing they have, and hmm. I think the more they need to worry about profit, the less it becomes about this stuff. You know, again, I'm I'm not saying this to rain on anyone's parade. Uh, but this is what it is. And a lot of us tend to be very enthusiastic about going to these festivals. Because like you said, Dipanjana, we don't have enough bookstores, we have no culture of criticism. If there was a newspaper in this country where, you know, you could read like a full complement of weekly reviews, an engaged conversation, you know, where people could write letters to the reviewers arguing with them. My God, I'm just Back going into for, dreamland as you're right? talking. Yeah. If all of this existed, um, you know, the Literature Festival itself would look like a very different animal, hmm. but it doesn't. And so the Literature Festival ends up having to do a lot of work for the culture of reading, for the culture of publishing in this country.
1: Which I don't know if it necessarily does. That is kind of the point of these places, that there will be a big name that will draw you in, like a keynote speaker or the... Tent pole speaker whatever it is and then there are like 20 other people that you should be finding that's something that rarely happens in literature festivals that I've attended in recent times but I have to put the caveat in that I've I'm just so turned off by this panel discussion model that uh, my attendance of literature festivals has really dipped in the last few years because I find that the topics are barely scratched on the surface you know It just becomes it's 30 minutes, six people on the panel, two of them are famous, three of them are even more famous and one moderator who doesn't know what the hell they're doing
0: and it's over. So what alternative would you suggest? One on ones to begin
1: with, like do a proper interview and make sure that the interviewer has read the works of the writer in depth make sure that they have spoken beforehand so that it doesn't end up being this weirdly wafty conversation that's being done. I really think a lot of the casualness with which we take these events is that they are not paid for. Like the audience isn't paying for them. The people who are participating are barely paid for them. In most cases, they aren't. Uh, very rare instances where moderators and speakers are given uh, any sort of honorarium for the work that they're doing, and Let it is
0: work. Right. Let me pause here and give a hand to the Tata Literature Festival, yes. where you and I were both moderators this year. Yes, which did pay us an honorarium and is the only festival in my experience that does that, does that has so. done so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not like it's a huge amount of
1: money. It's hardly
0: that. It's
1: the gesture. And it's the thinking behind it, that you are giving us time and work that you have put in. We are trying to give you a token amount in return. When even that tokenism isn't there, everyone takes it lightly. And the significant difference in sort of, you know, the kind of value you get as an audience is when you look at festivals abroad, Because those are paid events, like they're having to pay to bring the talent. I have to say the quality in the few festivals that I've attended abroad has been so much better. Tell me about the festivals you've been to abroad. I've never been to one. So I did Melbourne Writers Festival last year. Hmm. They'd invited me and I attended as many sessions as I could. Uh, so that was easily like three, four sessions a day. Right. Um, and you didn't
0: have to pay for any of these sessions because I didn't a, have to pay because I speaker. was attending
1: right. as a speaker. The other festival that I have attended on multiple occasions is the New Yorker Festival, which is not just books, to be fair. Like the New Yorker magazine, it covers a range of topics and uh, celebrities from different areas. And it has things like... I remember one year I didn't do this, but you could do a walk with Christian Lobotin's uh, designer through shoe design workshops. Wow. And it would uh, have been really uncomfortable if you were wearing his shoes, I imagine. Would not be able to do it then. <laughs> uh, and that was followed, I think, by brunch. Um, it also cost, I think, half my you know, yearly salary or something like that. But, you know, you could there were uh, there was another walk with a Chinese-American author through Chinatown. Because their book had been set in that area. things like this, which are slightly more inventive, but then there were, you know, very straightforward one-on-one conversations, like, for instance, uh, Ray Fiennes had directed a version of Coriolanus. Mm. so he and he was interviewed by Anthony Lane. Mm. And at the end of that interview, Ray Fiennes uh, read out the four quartets. And I have treasured that recording. Shakespeare
0: didn't put that in Coriolanus. I just want to... I don't know which (laughs)
1: version of Shakespeare you've been reading that did not include T.S. Eliot. I'm just saying. Right. I mean, the time-traveling Shakespeare, you don't know him. (laughs)
0: What kind of muse, a bookworm do you me, think you are? to me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But,
1: so that was the thing. Very good. The whole very good. conversation. Very good. Yeah. The whole conversation was about Shakespeare, politics. He'd set it in Serbia. So looking at all of that, and then at the end of it, Anthony Lane was like, "Now this has nothing to do with anything. But can you please just read out the four quartets because you're so good at it."
0: Mm. And he was right. You know, and, you know that's what you paid for. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it was and you, bonus. Yeah. So at that point of time, the fact that I had had to part with what felt like a little bit of my kidney to pay for those tickets was OK. The kidney will grow back, you know. Uh, Or is it the liver that grows back? I think the liver grows back. I think so too. uh, Whichever it is. You gave away the the wrong organ. (laughs) The wrong
0: organ. Yeah. That explains so much. Um, Note to any literature festival organizers who are listening to this, please include more authors on the life sciences in your future (laughs) panels. (laughs) So that we don't make mistakes like that again.
1: Yeah. Uh, Or just get smarter
0: authors than me. I'm really glad. Look, I'm really glad that Indian Literature Festivals are free because I think there are a lot of us who need to listen to authors and to discover their work. And just to go and look at, at other people, you know, who can speak with some authority about their subject of choice because we don't get enough of that.
1: This is something that I find myself very conflicted over, you know, because I completely agree with you. There just isn't enough opportunities for people to come across writers and writing. And if there's a ticket price, then there's an immediate barrier. Uh, There is.
0: Uh, You're right. I like that they're free. Um, I wish that they would be as committed to freedom as they say that they are. Mm, Nice. Um, I'm also sort of, you know,
1: very sharply aware now of how beholden you become as an organizer to people who are doing things for you because you need to make it free for others.
0: Right. I also understand that you're sticking to your guns. Uh, especially on unpopular subjects, Mm. ends up risking that your event becomes uh, siloed and Mm. that what you have is a bunch of people who all agree with each other or only mildly disagree with each other, kind of discovering each other's work rather than opening up a big tent where you, you can possibly change minds, come into contact with people who never imagined other points of view. So, from the festivals that you've attended in India, Goa you said was one of your picks any others oh i uh that really makes it sound like i'm a, a literary festival traveler <laughs> uh, which which i I must hasten to say i i was so i you must have ha- unwittingly ended up attending a lot yeah, of them. i must I must underline here that uh this is extremely selective because huh. I haven't actually been to all that many. I really like festivals that are kind of local hmm. and emphasize the work of local authors. Hmm. So there is a soft spot in my heart for the literature section of the Kalakora festival hmm. uh, because it not only focuses very much on um, local authors as well as visiting authors, it's also organized or its spirit is moved by. Writers who live in the city. Hmm. Um, Hmm. Have I been to others that, uh, have I been to a lot of others? Um, I think, I mean, it's not really a literature festival, but as an arts festival, I think something like Jashne Rekhta Mm. is pretty wonderful. And in general, uh, I'm excited by the idea that you can have literature festivals and arts festivals in Indian languages that are not English. Mm. Um, So I'm, I'd love to see more of that. And more poetry. More poetry would be great, and because, I think, I and mean, I think you'd ha- you'd have a surprising number of people yeah. interested in it, right? Yeah,
1: because I think also the idea of performing poetry has become more and more right.
0: And you you know if you're kind of elaborating on the age old Kavi Sammelan yeah. or kind of uh, remixing it to bring it to an audience that isn't familiar with, how cool is that? Absolutely, and also it would make for great Insta videos, guys. <laughs> uh, if someone's never been to a literature festival in their life before, which one would you recommend?
1: I think I would actually say JLF. Hmm, it's um, so
0: big, right? It's so
1: big. It always has a fabulous list of speakers. You might be caught in a stampede, but chances are there is actually a non-stampede
0: event going on at the same time. I would always go to the non-stampede Go to events, the non-stampede. Especially if you haven't heard the speakers because you're likely to end up enjoy listening to them. And you will discover
1: a whole new set of books that you now must absolutely possess. That's true. Um, So I absolutely say that go to something like JLF, go to a big festival, just don't go to the big ticket stuff. Wear uh, flat shoes and carry water with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And dress in layers. Dress in
0: layers, for sure. Uh,
1: So JLF is something that I would highly
0: recommend. Yeah, And if you're Um, listening to this in the week that it's released, we're really sorry that it didn't come to you soon enough (laughs) (laughs) for you to make it there. Don't go now. Every room in the city is probably booked But you have
1: enough time to make it for next year. So, you know, think ahead and all that. Remember Um, that. Kolkata also, I think, from time to time does a really lovely job at the Victoria.
0: I mean, what Uh, a great... uh, What a a venue, right? And what a great uh, book city, right? The only book event I've been to in Calcutta is actually the Calcutta Book Fair, which Mm. I love. Uh. So Calcutta
1: Book Fair for, um, I think, all of uh, southern Bengal, at least, was a landmark period. Like that week, people would flood into the city from all over the state And Bengalis who live outside Bengal would come to the city specifically to buy books at the book fair. And you knew that when you went to the book fair, you would come back with your asthma at least three notches higher. Because, you know, there wasn't any fancy tent and all that. It was on a field and the field got dusty. Uh, You would also have all the street food in the world. And so we'll obviously get dysentery in two days. Um, So there were things that you knew were going to happen. Good books, dysentery and asthma. Three things guaranteed. (laughs) And it was so satisfying for the soul. (laughs) (laughs) So I also actually I had a lot of fun the one time I'd gone to the Shillong
0: Literature Festival. That sounds fantastic.
1: And not just because I had great food outside it Mm -hmm. uh, and Cherrapunji is like a short drive away. Uh, So, you know, holiday. But the festival itself meant that because it's Shillong, a lot of writers from the northeast, which again, mainland tends to ignore because they're fighting for attention with, you know, the Chetan Bhagats and the Amishas of this world. Right, And so you will find... You know, people who are writing about folk tales, people who are telling you very interesting nonfiction from the area. So this is the sort of thing that ultimately, this is why I feel we should be encouraging literature festivals for all the annoying crap that they pull otherwise.
0: Right. Um, yes, crap is a literary term of <sighs> reference. Well, having started with dysentery, we end <laughs> on crap. Why don't you play us out, Ms. Bal?
1: On that high note, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, you come in looking for books and references to literature festivals, I give you crap. Uh, On that high note, I'm going to say that, you know, we're going to wind this up. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Please look us up on Twitter, Instagram and tell us what you thought of uh, this episode, we'll be coming out with more uh, conversations about books let and me reading.
0: Be, yeah, let me be clear about this. You can tell her. Don't you dare come and tell me. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not listening. No. <laughs> May your bowel movements be good and the books you read on the bowl be great. All right. Thank you very much. This is a Made in India production. The editorial producers are Mae Thomas and Sean Phantom. Shania Subramanian is our producer and the assistant producer is Janam Devan. These episodes are edited by Vijay Doifre and recorded by Adriel George, as well as the Island City Studio. Our theme music is Here's to You by the Easy Wanderlings.